0: Hello everyone. This is Tom Fox. I'd like to welcome you to a short, three-part special podcast series on how Venice informs your compliance program. Over this three-part series, in part 1, we'll take a look at doing compliance the old-fashioned way, which is the way things are constructed in Venice. In part 2, the Arsenali and compliance lessons around culture and how to treat your workforce. Finally, In Episode 3, we will take a nod of the hat to Venice for creating a whistleblower program into the lion's mouth. I know you'll have some fun over this short holiday week on Compliance Lessons from Venice. Episode 2, Arsenale and Incentivizing Compliance. Today, I'm focusing on the Arsenale No, this is not a precursor to that famous North London football club, the Arsenal Gunners. But it is the district in Venice where one of the main commercial enterprises of the city took place, that being shipbuilding, ship refurbishment, and ship repair. At one point, the Arsenale employed almost 10% of the city's workforce, over 12,000 people. This was in the mid-1200s to the mid-1400s, when Venice was at or near the height of its trading and financial power. The Arsenali developed the first production line for the building of ships when, of course, it was all done by hand. The equipment developed to drag ships up on shore and repair was simply amazing. Appropriately, now the Arsenali is now a, an Italian and NATO naval facility. I also picked up some interesting compliance insights in learning more about the arsenal. The shipbuilding techniques were of such a high level and importance to the city that they were viewed as state secrets to protect against the loss of such valuable intellectual property. The Venetian Fathers put a series of incentives and punishments that can help inform your best practices compliance program up to this day. This is around punishment and incentives. First and foremost, On the punishment side, Venice forbade any skilled worker from leaving the city to go to work at a neighboring city or a rival city, i.e. the first non-compete and still widely used in corporate America today. Second was the punishment, that if you were caught passing state secrets or secrets around the arsenality or of the arsenality, you were summarily executed only after excruciating torture. And while those specific techniques are not widely used in corporate America today, I'm sure there are some non-enlightened corporate leaders who might like to reinstitute one or both of these practices. However, on the incentive side, there were several mechanisms the city of Venice used to help make the Arsenal workforce more loyal and desirous to stay in their jobs for the betterment of themselves and their city. The first was job security. The Arsenale was so busy for many years that layoffs were unheard of. If someone lost their job through injury or mishap or worse, they received enough compensation that they could live in the city. Finally, when a worker died, the company provided not only the funeral expenses, but would assist in taking care of the family through stipends or finding other work for family members. This dual focus on keeping the state secrets of shipbuilding and repair within the city of Venice reminded me of one of the points that representatives of the DOJ and SEC continually remind compliance practitioners about when discussing any best practices program, whether based upon the ten hallmarks of an effective compliance program, articulation in a deferred prosecution agreement, or something else. They continually remind CCOs that any best practice should have both incentives and discipline as a part of your compliance program. Regarding disincentives, incentives for 2012 guidance is clear. DOJ and SEC will thus consider a company has appropriate and clearly defined procedures, whether those procedures are applied reliably and promptly, and whether they are commensurate with the violation. Many companies have found that publicizing disciplinary actions internally where appropriate under local law can have an important deterrent effect demonstrating the unethical and unlawful actions and swift and sure consequences. However, the guidance is equally clear that there should be incentives for not only following your company's internal code of conduct, but also doing business the right way, i.e. not engaging in bribery and corruption. On incentives, the guidance also says the DOJ and SEC will recognize that positive incentives can drive compliant behavior. These incentives can take many forms, such as personal evaluations and promotions, rewards for improving and developing a company's compliance programs, and rewards for ethics and compliance programs. Some organizations, for example, have made adherence to compliance a significant metric for management's bonuses so that compliance becomes an integral part of management's everyday concern. But the guidance also recognizes that incentives not only need not only be limited to financial rewards, but sometimes simply acknowledging employees for doing the right thing can be a powerful tool as well. All of this was neatly summed up in the guidance with a quote from a speech given by Stephen Cutler, the then Director, Division of Enforcement, SEC, when he said, quote, "...making integrity, ethics, and compliance part of the promotion, compensation, and evaluation process as well." For at the end of the day, the most effective way to communicate that doing the right thing is a priority is to reward it. Conversely, if employees are led to believe that when it comes to compensation and career advancement, all that counts is short-term profitability and cutting ethical corners is an acceptable way of getting there, they'll perform to that metric. Designing an example from a different walk of life, a college football coach can be told that graduation rates of players are what matters, but he'll know differently if the sole focus of his contract extension talks or the decision to fire him is his one loss record. One Houston-based company, Weatherford, annually awards cash bonuses of $10,000 to employees who have gone above and beyond in the area of ethics and compliance for the company. While some might intone that this is to be expected from a company that recently concluded a multi-year and multi-million dollar FCPA enforcement action, if you want to emphasize change on culture, not much says more than loudly than awarding that kind of money to an employee. I'm sure that being handed a check for $10,000 is quite a nice prize. You can also consider the more mundane methods too incentivize compliance. You can make compliance evaluations a part of every employee's overall evaluation for some type of year-end discretionary bonus. It can be 5%, 10%, or even up to 20%. But once you put it in writing, you need to follow it. Incentives can be burned into the DNA of the company through the hiring and promotion process. There should be compliance component to all senior management hires and promotions up to the august ranks within a company. Your HR function can get be a great aid to your cause in driving the right type of behavior through design and implementation of substructures. structures. Employees know who gets promoted and why. If someone who is not only known for hitting their numbers is continually promoted, there is an, they, however they accomplish this feat will certainly be observed by his or her coworkers. Just as the fathers of Venice viewed the workers of the Arsenale as critical to their well-being for their city, senior managers need to understand the same about their workforce. In places like Texas, employees are typically incentivized with enlightened remarks along the lines of, you should just be happy to even have a job. Fortunately, there are real-world examples of corporate incentives that can work into a compliance regime. The city of Venice long ago showed that such incentives could help it maintain a commercial advantage. Unfortunately for us, the DOJ and SEC still understand these valuable lessons and continue to talk about them as well. This is Tom Fox again. I hope you've enjoyed this episode of my special podcast series on compliance lessons from Venice, and I hope you'll join me again for another episode. I also hope you will subscribe to my podcast series wherever great podcasts are listened to and a compliance lessons from venice has been a a special presentation of the compliance podcast network this is tom fox again i hope you've enjoyed this episode of the special three-part series on compliance lessons from venice i hope you will join us again hope you'll join us tomorrow for our concluding episode where we honor venice for starting the modern whistleblower program with into the lion's mouth this special podcast series is a production of the award-winning compliance podcast network if you've enjoyed this episode i hope you'll subscribe rate and review wherever great podcasts are listened to thanks so much for listening and i hope you'll join us tomorrow and that you'll have a happy and safe thanksgiving